Cause sometimes I be right Hello Welcome To the show Happy New Year y'all Welcome back Cyber Family How's everybody feeling? Hope y'all had a, a safe Happy Eventful holiday season But it's back to business And boy we got a lot of business to get into Welcome back, Cyber Family. Thank you for joining me again. If this is your first time, welcome. This is Sometimes I Be Right. I'm your host, John Farris, reporting live from Trash Can Studios, joined by my co-host, Wally. Say what up, Wally. (laughs) First show of the new year. Uh, I'm actually not reporting live from Trash Can Studios. (laughs) Started it off with lies. Uh, Truth is, it's cold. Uh, it's cold out in Trash Can Studios, and uh, I didn't feel like freezing. So I am reporting live, actually, from my daughter's bedroom. You know, the wonders of modern technology. We could take this show on the road, right? Go anywhere we please. How's everybody doing? How's everybody feeling? Feels good to be back. My holidays were wonderful, in case you were wondering. But let's get to business. Look. I wanted, I wanted to start this year off, right? This is the first show of the new year. I wanted to lead with love, right? I wanted to start with love. I saw something, uh, credit to Bleacher Report. I saw a post on Instagram from Bleacher Report, and it, it, it gave me the feels, man. It made me kind of look in the mirror and say, maybe I'm wrong, you know? So the post I saw... Was it was a uh, it was a post uh, of about LeBron James, so it uh, was split into three columns, and on the on the left column it was at seventeen, uh, and it was he was averaging twenty eight points, nine rebounds, six assists, and then the middle column was t- at twenty seven, and he was averaging twenty seven points, eight rebounds, six assists, and then on the right was at thirty seven, and he's currently averaging twenty eight points, seven rebounds, and seven assists. And listen, every part of me wanted to hate, right? <laughs> I wanted to hate. But when I saw that, man, it hit me uh, and it made me realize two things. Number one, he LeBron James might be the most consistent athlete of all time. Just a guy who has consistently, he's just been consistent. The same, you know what you're going to get, night in, night out, consistent. Now, outside of that, you know, finals against Dallas, uh, where I don't know what happened. Like, it was it was like a Space Jam scenario, which is ironic because he was in the new Space Jam. But it was like the Monstars came, took all his talent, and left him there, and he couldn't figure it out. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. But outside of that, he has been, over the course of his career incredibly consistent it's usually like 27 7 to 7 is what you're going to get like write it down bet your life on it bet the house on it that's probably what it's going to be who else can claim that to be that consistent for that many years at that level with that level of pressure which brings me to my second thought i had when i saw it i don't think we will ever appropriately or properly appreciate the player that LeBron is. Now, I know that's weird coming from me because I'm kind of 
labeled as like LeBron hater number one. But the truth is, I don't hate LeBron. I hate the stands for LeBron. I hate the way his stands just praise and drool over everything he does. I'm not that. I can still be objective. But because he was dubbed the next MJ in high school, from the moment he stepped on the court, it was either we're going to overly praise him or overly criticize him. And it was never, we were never able to just watch and enjoy. Like, just sit back, enjoy the show. Everything he's done, every game he's played, every finals run has always been just bogged down in this idea of, is this the best ever? Is this the worst ever? Is he deserving of the title or is he overrated? It was never, we were never able to just enjoy it for what it was. Just just watch it and enjoy it. That's a shame, man. I said a couple years ago, probably like six, seven years ago, I said, man, I wish we could just stop talking about the GOAT conversation. Just leave that for later and let's just enjoy the show. Like for me, it always sucked that like every time they got to the finals, he had to win to prove that he was the greatest. Or if he lost, it just validated that he was overrated and wasn't MJ. Look, he's not. In my opinion, Michael Jordan's the greatest of all time. And he will be until further notice. Right? And to me, it doesn't matter what LeBron does at this point. He can't surpass Jordan because Jordan was the benchmark, right? Like, the fact that you're even comparing him to Jordan says Jordan's already above it. And you have to do so much to where you erase the guy before you. Like, think about it. Jordan erased whoever was the GOAT before him. Like, who who was the GOAT before Michael Jordan? That's the point. You could say LeBron is the GOAT, but he does he doesn't he hasn't erased what Jordan did. He hasn't made you forget all about Jordan. And that's why Jordan's still the GOAT, because Jordan has a brand. Jordan changed sneaker culture. Jordan changed so much off the court and then just dominated on the court and just had, like, a, a aura about him that I feel like LeBron doesn't have. And he's never had it. And it's not a knock, but it's just I believe that MJ is the GOAT. But it doesn't mean that I couldn't watch LeBron's career and just appreciate who he is as a player and what he provides as a player, as opposed to always making it this grand, uh, we have to, every game has to be a, a, a massive statement. So starting this year with love, man, I just want to give props to LeBron, man. For real. In all honesty, not being sarcastic, not being, you know, not being passive aggressive, just Huge respect to that guy, man. I mean, look, like I said, being labeled as the next MJ in high school, dealing with that pressure on top of whatever regular high school pressure there is, coming into the NBA and right from day one being kind of thrown into the spotlight of, are you as good as they say? And then living up to that and then surpassing that. And then even now, like 18 years later, Still being as productive, he deserves a lot of credit.
It's my love segment for the year. <laughs> Kudos to LeBron, man. So, that's probably going to be it for the love. <laughs> all right, listen. I don't. I hate to do this. I hate. To, I say it all the time. I say it all the time. I hate it, but I end up doing it all the time. So rumors are starting to swirl. If you look at the right pages, the right you know Google searches. Um, so rumor has it that Jake Paul has uh, advised his team to reach out. Uh, to reach out to Julio Cesar Chavez Jr.'s team about setting up a fight now uh that's dumb right so what this got me thinking about was a couple things number one chavez jr if you're a boxing fan chavez jr is is the like the the greatest enigma of all time like the guy's been a champion before but when you see him fight you're like how <laughs> he comes from an incredible lineage, right? Like his father's greatest Mexican fighter of all time, one of the greatest boxers of all time. Like revered fighter, like highly respected. And then this guy comes out and just never fully commits to it. Never seems like his heart is into it, but you always felt like, man, if you ever just committed to it, you got greatness in you. But he never did. And recently, in the last couple of years, it's been bad. We saw him quit against Danny Jacobs. Just outright say, I'm done, quit. Crowd was throwing bottles in the ring at him. Like, it was bad. Then he lost to Anderson Silva, which is like, yo, how? And it just looked bad. Well, Jake Paul obviously wants two things. Number one, he needs money. He needs a draw. Right? He needs something to spark some interest. As I've said before, after the last fight, and before the last fight, quite frankly, the jig is up. Right, Fans of boxing who don't like Jake Paul, who believe he's not a legit boxer, in the first fight against Woodley, saw the trash skills. And in the rematch, saw that he's still trash. Okay? But he could throw a little. He could. He got some power, right? You catch the right guy in the right way at the perfect time with great timing, where it looks like he just stuck his chin out there for you. Then you you could do some damage, fine. But we don't believe, and we being boxing fans don't believe that you're a legit boxer or that you can beat legit boxers, especially not guys your size. No. So we're no longer paying. Or emotionally invested in watching you fight. Because as long as you're fighting MMA guys, we no longer have a vested interest in seeing what you can do and seeing you lose. Because we feel, eh, until you fight a boxer, I'm out. And if you're a fan, well, you know, it is what it is. You know he's not great. But you hope that maybe he can get the knockout. And even then, you're not going to pay money unless he's fighting someone that there's some interest there. So the jig is up completely. And the sales and the pay-per-view sales show that. So he needs to do something to bring everybody back around. Okay? But I think going after Chavez Jr. is a massive mistake. And I think it shows... 
a lack of knowledge about boxing and about fighters. Because there's one thing we could say about Chavez, okay? Actually, two things. <laughs> Number one, he's massive. He's a big guy. Like, cutting weight was a problem for him. He routinely had issues getting down to weight. So he's going to have no problem coming into the ring at 190. Okay? That's number one. Number two, he is a former champion. He is a guy who's had success as a boxer against elite-level boxers. And so, you know what I mean? Like, even his bad times, that was against boxers, fighters. Not a guy who just kind of picked up the sport. Not MMA guys coming over to boxing for the first time against legit contenders. And I'll throw in a third thing. He could take a punch. I think it's a bad idea by Jake if he's actually looking to win. If he's just looking to cash out. If he's just looking to cash out. Then great. Good good idea. Go take that fight. And, and draw some interest because I'd be curious. Not even so much Jake Paul, but no, Chavez Jr. can't lose to Jake Paul. You can't. You, you can't. Get a DQ. <laughs> if you're losing that fight, hit him with so many low blows, the ref has to disqualify you. That would be better than just getting a straight-up loss. And that's a legit boxer. It's a legit name. But also a guy who's got commitment issues, who as a boxing fan, I would say, man, like that's if he don't get it done, that's bad. Right? But in reality, I believe Jake Paul is soft to the body. I do. And I think the guys he's fought are not good enough or don't have the training to know how to get inside. And so they just fight Jake at a distance, watching out for that right hand, which allows Jake to do exactly what he wants to do. Nobody ever gets in to touch that body. Chavez Jr. will touch the body. Right? Chavez Jr. is used to... You know, he knows how to move in the ring. He's got muscle memory, as Max Kellerman would say. He's fought before. Boxers. He's fought different taller guys, smaller guys, faster guys, slower guys. Like, he's got that ring history to where Jake Paul no longer has the advantages. And I think, unless he's trying to cash out, that's a bad idea. And his team shouldn't let it happen. Unless, again, the plan is, let's cash out. Let's see if we can get the biggest fight possible. Whatever happens, happens, and then we're out of the sport. Which could be, because Jake Paul seems like he's trying to get out. I mean, he fake retired for like a day or two after the first Woodley fight. Then he came back and said he needed a break, and now he's telling Dana White that he'd be willing to retire from boxing, sign a one-fight deal to fight Masvidal in the cage for UFC, if... Dana will just agree to certain terms and increase fighter pay and all that stuff. So he he constantly talking about the idea of giving it up. I don't think he loves it anymore. 
I think he liked it when he was the pay-per-view king. I think he liked it when he was getting all this attention. I think now that the attention is waning, now that the interest is kind of going away, it's just not as fun. Now it's work. Now there's danger. Now there's stakes. Now there's something to be lost. Now I have to, if I want to keep the gravy train going, I have to fight guys that really threaten me. And I don't know if that's, I don't think he ever got into it thinking that. Because the first guy he fought was a fellow YouTuber. Then he fought Nate Robinson, like kind of like a jokey type of exhibition type thing. Then he stepped up and fought Ben Askren, an old, washed-up, like, guy who was never known for throwing hands. And then he saw a money opportunity to fight Tyron Woodley, a guy who notoriously wasn't very active, had never boxed before, and was old. Now, you gotta look for guys like Chavez Jr., who, yeah, you could say maybe he's washed up, had commitment issues, lack of activity is also a problem that he has from time to time. But it's still a great, a far greater risk. Even if he fought, even if he fights Tommy Fury, a younger guy, a guy who's just as big, and a guy who's got more boxing experience, that's still a threat. That's still something you have to prepare hard for. I don't know if he wants to do that. But let's move on. Listen, man, let's talk about let's talk about uh the, the college football playoff. Going into it, I said last week that I, I was rooting for Cincinnati. I wanted them to win, but I don't see how you're gonna do it. Now I watched the game. Uh, I, Cincinnati was outmatched in every way. In every way. And that's the problem. So I was left with the question, has Cincinnati ruined it for all of the non-Power 5 teams? Because they were like the first to get in, right? They were like the guinea pigs. Let's put them in there, see how they do. Now, unfortunately, you're going against a powerhouse in Alabama. It's kind of not fair. Had they been matched up against Michigan? Perfect. Perfect matchup. The game would have been way more competitive, maybe even maybe even not competitive, but it would have been in Cincinnati's favor, right? But you're going up against a juggernaut in Alabama. They, they got guys up and down the roster, four or five deep. So you had no shot. Everyone knew they got no shot. I know that Fox, they got, they got to sell it. The, the ESPN's got to sell it. And Cincinnati's got a real chance here. I know, I know, I know. I said it, I know. You want to think they could win? They can't. They, they're not going to win. No chance. But now are people looking at this like, see, this is why non-Power 5 teams shouldn't get in. That's why they shouldn't get in. And the next year, is there going to be another team that they say, eh, we're going to put in a two-loss team over them because, remember Cincinnati? I don't think that's fair. But I think if the committee gets in that spot next year, like let's say you have let's say you have one loss Oklahoma and you also have an undefeated um, let me try to think. I don't know, Western Kentucky. <laughs> right? What do you do? 
Matter of fact, make it a two loss. Make make Oklahoma have two losses. And then an undefeated Western Kentucky. And what do you do? Do you say, hey, undefeated teams got to go in? Or do you just say, remember Cincinnati? That's tough, man. They got to live with that. <laughs> they ruined it for everybody. I don't know. Just a thought. Just something I was thinking of. But look, man, you know what I'm happy about? You know what I'm happy about? I'm happy about the Michigan game. Michigan is who we thought they were. Or at least who I thought they were. They're a team that can only play one way. Right? They can only play one way. They can only run the ball. If the run game is working, they're good. Thumbs up. If you stop the run, they don't have the weapons to beat you in the air. They don't. Right? So they need to control the pace. And for some reason, because they beat Ohio State at home in the snow in the biggest game of these players' lives, like Michigan was so hell-bent on winning that game. And they did. Again, kudos to Michigan. They beat Ohio State. But after that, I feel like all the sports media overhyped them as, whoa, this team could win a championship. Oh, really? I said going into the Ohio State game, they got no juice, right? They got no, like, weapons. They're going to get washed. Now, they didn't. I was wrong. But Georgia's defense is 10 times better than Ohio State's defense. Look, we'll talk about the Rose Bowl, but Ohio State's defense is garbage. And you ran all over them. You ran all over them, to your credit. But again, the sports media, dum-dums that time, they decided, hey, that was impressive. They could do that against anybody. If they did that against Ohio State... They could do it against anybody. The problem is Ohio State has flaws. Ohio State is not the measuring stick of what the best team in college football is. Not this year. They had a lot of holes. The defense being the biggest one. So you praise Michigan for what they did against that team thinking they're going to do it against everybody. Going into the Georgia game, there was no doubt in my mind they weren't going to win that game. They're not going to beat Georgia. Game's not even going to be close. They have to run the ball, control the pace, control the clock. You're not going to do that against those big dogs. Pun intended. (laughs) Georgia's got a massive defensive line and great linebacker play. Yo, N'Kobe Dean is an unreal linebacker. That guy, first-round pick, without a doubt, if you have a chance to draft him, pick him up. I don't care how many linebackers you have. I don't care who you have. Pick him up. That guy's a player. So going into, I said last week, everyone was talking about, you know, Stetson Bennett. Uh, he's terrible. You can't win a championship with him. And I said, why is everybody looking at Cade McNamara like he's better? Stetson Bennett is better than that guy. If, you're, if you were doing the quarterback matchup, who were you taking? I told you I was taking Bennett all day, every day over Cade McNamara. And guess what happened? Who outplayed who? 
Sometimes I be right. I be trying to tell y'all. I'm not crazy. Here's what you have to remember about me. Unemotional decisions and opinions. I'm not emotional. I'm lying. I can be emotional. (laughs) But when it comes to sports, when it comes to the show, when I sit down in front of this mic and give an opinion, I take my emotions out of it. Look, I just opened this show praising LeBron. You think if I was uh, being emotional and using my emotions, I would ever do that? I would pretend like I never saw that post. I would never credit him. (laughs) Take emotions out of it. Be logical, right? That's what it is. When you look at Michigan, you see the way they play. I asked you, did you not see them struggle in other games? Why do you think because they beat Ohio State, who has a terrible defense, do you think that that's now the the end-all, be-all where they can win a championship? First of all, you'd have had to go through Georgia. wasn't going to happen. Then you would have had to go through Alabama. Definitely not going to happen. And you're going against Georgia coming off a loss in which they're being completely disrespected. Again, Georgia lost a game to Alabama. They got trashed. Oh, you know what? They're not as good as we thought they were. Michigan wins a game against Ohio State. They're better than we thought they were. They deserve credit. For what? And that's what y'all get. Egg on your face. Blah. <laughs> and the worst part, nobody going to step up and say, hey, man, we overhyped them. Nobody's going to do that. And I sound bitter because I'm an Ohio State fan and, and Michigan beat Ohio State. So now I seem like I'm bitter and, and just throwing shots because, yeah, ha, ha. No, I'm not. What I'm saying is this is the problem with sports media these days. Everybody's so caught up in the moment, in the moment, in the moment, in the moment. Nobody thought, wait a second. That Ohio State defense is terrible. Of course they ran all over them. Of course they did. What, what, did you expect them not to? That's what I'm saying. They are who we thought they were. They are who I thought they were. A team that lacks weapons, that lacks team speed. And a team that has to play a certain way. And if you take that, if you take that away from them, they got no, they got no nothing else. They, they they got no second pitch. It's a fastball, and if you can catch up to the speed, ah, game over. So now again, I accurately predicted what the national championship was going to be, and I do agree with Vegas. Vegas has um, Georgia as the favorites. I agree. I think Georgia wins the championship. I think Alabama won that game. And I think at the time, I think it's hard for me to not give some sort of weight to the idea that Georgia knew if we win or lose, we're still in the playoff. Right? Like, it's not the end of the world. We could we could lose this game and it has a zero effect on us, on our outcome. That plays a factor. It also plays a factor that Alabama needed to win in order to get to the playoff. They have more incentive. They came out with more urgency. And Alabama is a team, when you fall behind Alabama, it's hard. Because you feel so much pressure. You try to make a play, but they got, damn man, they got athletes over there. And you start forcing plays, they're going to take it away from you. 
They're going to go score in bunches, and it's over. Before you know it, it's over. So I think coming into this game, I think now Georgia and Alabama are on an even playing field in terms of level of importance of the game. It's the last game. Nobody wants it more than the other guy. It's personal. You just beat us up. Just a couple weeks ago, you beat us up. But now we get the chance to do it again for a championship. I think they get the job done. Let's move on to the Rose Bowl. Now, I'm not going to say it was a great game because it wasn't. But, man, it was fun. And this, there's so many different things that happen in this game that are like, it was, it was just fun, man. Look, Jackson Smith and Jigba is unbelievably talented. Great hands, great route running ability, tough, smart, like just a really good player. Right? And C.J. Stroud, I don't care what you argue with me. C.J. Stroud is the best quarterback in college football. He's the best quarterback in college football. And it ain't close. He's so effortless with the way he throws the ball. Now, I'm not, the, I'm not getting caught up in completion percentage or in how many yards he had. Because you get a lot of yards after catch. You get a, you get a lot of yak. All right, college football is full of yak. So I'm not even saying that because of those. I'm saying it, watch him play. Watch the way he throws the ball. Watch the ease with which he throws it down the field. He was dropping dimes like it was nothing. That last throw he threw to Njigba when it went over the shoulder, first of all, that catch was unbelievable, incredibly difficult, but the throw was put in a spot where only he could catch it. And if he wasn't going to make that play, it was going to fall incomplete. It couldn't have been put in a better spot. That's unreal. And it was easy for him. And look, Marvin Harrison Jr., all right now. <laughs> Listen, they're losing Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. They're going to be just fine. They got receiver talent. And they got a couple boys coming in this year. They're going to be just fine. But what a game, man. Look, Utah's tough. Utah's tough. They came out, man, and they played, and they played hard, and and, and they took it to Ohio State's defense, and they did exactly what Michigan did. They just ran it. And Ohio State had no answers. But in the second half, they came out and played with a different level of fire. I think that can carry over to next year. I think that's possible. It's not beyond the realm of possibility for that to carry over to next year. But, you know, eh, I'm, I'm just thinking about, <laughs> I literally started daydreaming mid-thought. Let's just think about the game, think about next year, different recruits they got coming in. Look, they need, they, they need some, I say juice a lot. I say they need some juice. What I mean is they need some athletes, right? They need a, like a, a a special player. Like Ohio State's always had a defender 
that was like electric, that was going to make a play. You know, whether it's uh, Chris Gamble or it's James Laurinaitis, A.J. Hawk, or it's Cameron Hayward, or it's Thaddeus Gibson, or it's, you know, uh, Chase Young or the Bosa brothers, or if it's, you know, uh, there was, I can keep going. Like, there's always been somebody, like the marquee, like, defender that's like, oh, watch out for that guy. Who was that this year? That's what I'm saying. That that guy wasn't there this year. Now, one either is going to develop into that guy for next year or one of these young freshmen are going to come in or maybe someone in the transfer portal. I don't know, but that's what they were missing this year is that key defensive player who was going to make a big play when they needed it the most. It's So now it's just the offense. But something happened in that game. Something happened in that game that, for me, was a turning point. And it was a moment where I said, right after that, I said, oh, Ohio State's winning this game. I had zero doubt. And it happened very early, and it happened when things weren't going well. So, Ohio State is down 14 to nothing. It's the first quarter. There's a minute 30 left. In the first quarter, it's third and eight. Now, mind you, Ohio State's down 14 to nothing. If they punt this ball back, I 100% believe Utah is going to drive down the field, score another touchdown, 21-0 at the end of one, game over, pack it up, boys, we're out of here. And something happened. On that third and eight, C.J. Stroud dropped back to throw. Nothing was open. He took off. And he ran and he got that first down, took a hit. And the way he popped up, he popped up and kind of looked around and paused for a second. And to me, in my mind, I felt like in that moment, it clicked for him. And he said, I'm the best player in college football. I'm going to go win the game. Because, like, if you watch him before that, he kind of seemed like he was always trying to make the right throw and make the right read, and he wouldn't just take off and run and whatever. So, I, you know, whenever we talk about Dak Prescott, I always say sometimes you just got to make a play. Sometimes you got to, it, it doesn't have to be pretty. You just got to go, you got to become a football player and just make a play. In that moment, he just went and made a play. They needed that first down. And he went and got it. And when he popped back up, you could see his whole energy shifted. It was as if something clicked for him where he realized who he actually was, which is the best quarterback in college football. And from that moment forward, unreal game. And I thought, I'm crazy, right? Because I'd be thinking weird stuff like that. But in that moment, I said to myself, Ohio State's going to win this game, and he's about to have a monster game. Because that moment was important for him. I'd be interested to hear someone ask him that question, if that was a, a deal for him. 
I'm, you know, I might DM him. <laughs> I might reach out myself, <laughs> take a shot in the dark. Maybe he'll say, yeah. But that moment was big. And in that moment reminded me of when I said Joe Burrow became Joe Burrow. Right? And so I said, man, I got to go watch that play again. You remember, I've probably mentioned this every other episode. The big hit that Joe Burrow took in the bowl game against UCF. And then he got back up, and that was the moment everything changed for him. Because remember, in 2019, that season, his first year with LSU, it was kind of rough. It was kind of rough. You know what I mean? It's a little shaky. He wasn't, you know, he went into... His, his second year at LSU as like a projected six-round pick. Like he wasn't very, looked at very highly. So I went back and I pulled that up. And I said, man, I want to watch that play. And wouldn't you know it, it was the first quarter. They were down seven to three. And it was third and eight. What are the chances? He throws a pick six. Guy comes up and levels a blindside block. Boom. Off his feet. Soul exits his body. Some dude, uh, number 44, stands over him, yelling down at him, talking trash. And he popped up. And when he got up, it was like something clicked in his brain. And I promise you, watch Joe Burrow before that play. And watch him after. Whole swag changed. Before that play, Joe Burrow is not waving to the crowd at Texas the next year. Saying bye to everybody. He wasn't doing that. He was reserved and quiet. And, you know, like his whole swag came out after that play. And they went on to win. And he went on. He was doing, he was swaggy the rest of the game. <laughs> And that carried over into the next year where he had an unbelievable season, won the Heisman, became the number one overall pick, and now has officially moved into the top 10 in the NFL on the quarterback's list. No, I don't have the list ready. (laughs) But I promise you, Joe Burrow's top 10. And, And, depending on how the season ends up, he might move into the top five. The boy is good. Right? He's good. But the but the but the important part is the moment where it clicked. Where like something switched over and to me for Joe Burrow that was that moment. And that carried him on to an unbelievable season and the Heisman and the number one overall pick. I believe the same type of thing is gonna happen for CJ Stroud. Now he had a really good year. But next year, I, I'm not going to say I guarantee it. He's going to set records. And he's probably going to win the Heisman. And if he comes out, he's going to be the number one draft pick. That's what I'm saying. And it started with that third and eight. Sometimes you just got to make a play. And he went and made a play and it clicked for him. You're going to see a difference next year. Trust me. 
Sometimes I be right. This is one of those times. I'll tell you where else I was right. I've been, we've been going back and forth about the Cowboys this year. And I've been saying, hey, Cowboys are a little fraudulent, right? Like they're not, they're not complete frauds, but like they're beating up the bat. Like, look, 56 to 14 against Washington. The offense looked great. Defense looked amazing. Even special teams look good. And you say, man, this team's really good. This team is turning the corner. No. No, they're not. Because then they come back this week and they throw up a stinker against Arizona. That game, it, was, it ended up being a three-point game. That game was not as close as the score would show you. Dallas's offense is garbage. Dak Prescott, garbage. Dak Prescott is bad. <laughs> Dak Prescott needs everything around him to be perfect and to be set up well in order for him to be successful. That's not worth $40 million. I personally would have given Dak Prescott, I would have said, here's 30. Nah, here's 25. And that's it. You want to walk? Fine. I would have kept Garrett Gilbert, to be honest with you. I liked him over Cooper Rush. I would have went with him. I would have went forward with that for this year. We probably would have sucked. Right? But go ahead. Get a good draft pick. Start over. Because, again, Dak Prescott stepped into a team that was built for Tony Romo. So when he stepped in... Top five offensive line to protect them. Awesome. Fourth overall pick in Ezekiel Elliott. Top running back in the draft. Awesome. Receiving core was set up. Perfect. Awesome. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he his setup was great. And again, like sports media always does, because they're dum-dums, they're winning games, they credit the quarterback. Doesn't matter what's around the quarterback. They credit him. It's because of him. Right? You got people like uh, like Skip Bayless who were talking about Dak Prescott is the most important player on the Cowboys. It's like, ah, take away the offensive line. Do you think he still plays that well? Nope. Take away Zeke Elliott. Putting up the numbers he was putting up in the first couple years. Does Dak put up the numbers he did without that? Nope. You want to know how I know that that's true? Because look where they're at now. The offensive line is not as dominant as it was then. Right? They're missing Travis Frederick. Right? Pro Bowl center. He's gone. So now they got a different guy up there. Changes the whole dynamic. Right? Zeke's not running the way he once did. He's getting old. He's getting a little broken down, a little worn out. The running game's not what it used to be. And guess what? Dak can't, can't carry a squad. He can't. He never could. He never did. He just got credited for carrying the squad because we always credit the quarterback even though it's more than just the quarterback. Remember, guys, you all say it, the ultimate team sport. So with that being said, the Cowboys 
are slightly fraudulent because I believe their defense is good. They're not great. They're not all world. They're not as great as you would think. And listen, I said it before. Diggs takes a lot of chances to get those picks. He's a gambler. He'll go for the pick. He's going to get beat. Is he great? No. He's having a good year. But I think it was Shannon Sharp who said the only reason why you have 11 interceptions is because they keep trying you. And they keep trying you because they ain't afraid of you. Wow. It's like if he was really like a lockdown corner, they would stop throwing to him. But they don't because they know he could be beat because he ain't locked down. And I think sometimes fans get so excited about like they won that it's like you don't think about like, okay, but who did they play? What were the circumstances? This like there's more to it. Like you could see warning signs even in the wins like ah, this ain't going this ain't going to be good going forward. Once they go against better quarterbacks. They were on like a three-game win streak. It's like, oh, look, Dak Prescott's playing great. Yeah, but the teams are playing are garbage. If you're playing bad teams and doing that, that's what you're supposed to do. And then when you go against the good teams, you struggle all over again. It's like, well, what happened? What went wrong? What went wrong is they are who you thought they were. They're just not playing a bad team this week. Slightly frauds. (laughs) So I don't know how I feel about them going into the playoffs. If you're asking me, all right, I'll be honest. I think they're going to be one and done. I think they're going to lose in the first round. I know, I'm a fan. It's crazy for me to say it, right? But again, my emotions come out of it. They get sucked right out. It's all logic. And I just think if you watch this team, you watch this offense, what are you worried about? If they, oh my God, if they go against the Rams and Matt Stafford, what are you concerned about with them? Dak Prescott ain't going to beat you. Force them to throw the ball. Force them to have to drive down the field. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to go three and out. They're going to put the defense back on the field. The defense is good, but they need the offense to complement them. If they're out there too long because they got gamblers, they're going to give up big plays. It's going to be bad. They're going to lose in the first round. (laughs) I had mentioned before, I had mentioned before that I think Joe Burrow has entered into the top ten. And it's not just the last two weeks that he's had, because he's had great games the last two weeks. It's not just that. Those, to me, are validation for what I said coming out of college. Right? This guy is legit. There's something about him that's legit. Right? He's got, like, a certain thing about him that says, nah, this guy's different. I'm telling you, man, that new, once Brady and Rodgers leave, that that new top three, big three dudes, it's going to be interesting. Herbert and Joe Burrow are both there already. Who's going to join him? Is it Mahomes? The jury's still out. <laughs> I'm just playing. Mahomes is definitely there. It's Mahomes, Herbert, and Burrow. Those are the three guys. Those, that's the new Brady, Rodgers, and Breeze. That's what it is, man. I love watching. If you don't like watching Joe Burrow, look, yo, 
If you don't like watching it, then something's wrong with you. Also, let's, 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 I got to touch on that. This one's, it was funny, and then it turned sad, and then I got confused. And of course, I'm talking about Antonio Brown. I have to mention it, right? The guy just walked off the field. <laughs> Look, man, my first reaction was, what? Like, I got um, I got the alert on my phone from, like, the Bleacher Report app. It sent, like, the thing. So I, I pulled it up in the headline for the notification read, you know, Antonio Brown walks off field mid-third quarter. I said, what? That's weird. And then I and then I saw the video once I got home and he did. <laughs> he literally took off his shoulder pads and jersey and threw it, took off his t-shirt and threw it, took off his gloves and threw it. And my favorite part of the video is when he's walking through the back of the end zone and you can see the game going on in the background. <laughs> and it's like, bro, they're playing still. Like and you just walking off, waving by, and my question is, is he done? Like, who's who's who wants that at this point? Who wants that? Like, so once I stopped laughing, I started feeling bad because I said, man, something's wrong with him. Like, something's legitimately wrong with him and his brain. Like, no doubt about it, like, he's off. I mean, when you're dyeing your mustache blonde and leaving the rest of your facial hair black, like, something's wrong with you. Like, all jokes aside, like, it was sad to see because it was, like, a a person who literally, in in a moment... As other people were trying to tell him, nah, chill, 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 chill. Literally in a moment threw away something that is is that means a lot to him. And he threw it away. So the story, as far as we know, is that he's been dealing with an ankle injury. And uh Bruce Arians told him, you know, why don't you go in the game? And he said, Nah, I don't I don't think I could go. I guess Arians didn't want to hear it and said, Nah, you're good to go. And he said, Nah, nah, nah I ain't gonna be able to play coach. And then uh, Arians told him, well, then then go back to the locker room or something. But the dispute seemed to be that Antonio Brown didn't want to go back in the game. Then there's rumors that he was having an issue because Gronk was the most targeted receiver and he felt like Tom Brady was going back to his guy. So there was a little conflict there between Brady and, and Brown. But either way, you, there's no way in hindsight he's not looking at that like, yo, I messed up. There's no way that another team is going to watch that and say, yeah, we'll take that guy. Sure. Like, there's no way. So is he done in the NFL? Is it over for him? I think so. I think so, man. I think you can't. If I'm a GM, I'm not. I'm not signing him. I'm not touching it. Nah, let somebody else worry about it. 
How many how many different ways do you need to see it fall apart before you're like, eh, I'm just not going to take it on? Because even if it's good for a year, I mean, look, Tampa Bay got what they wanted, right? They got a Super Bowl. But if you're not going to get a Super Bowl, and there's no guarantee, it ain't worth the headache, right? It ain't worth the headache. All right, one last thing, man. Before I get out of here, I've been uh, I've been starting my draft work. And look, just a heads up, I'm not gonna go over offensive linemen. Nah, I'll trust the pros on that. Um, because I don't, you know, how are you judging that, right? Like, I don't know the first thing about you know arm length and all that stuff. Nah, I'm just watching players and 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 building opinions and putting together like my beliefs of what I think, right? Who cares about my opinion? Somebody maybe will, but I'm going to share it anyway. <laughs> We're going to do a lot of stuff with drafts up. But look, I, I started with the quarterbacks because for me, quarterbacks are fun. It's easy to see, right? It's easy to watch a quarterback, watch his throw motion, his mechanics, his footwork, and kind of get a gauge of like, is this guy good or is he bad? And I've said that this quarterback class is bad, and it is. And when I say bad, I don't mean like none of these guys can be productive in the league. I just mean that none of these guys are worth are worth a first round pick, and most of them probably are just backup quarterbacks at best. A guy that could come in and in a game or two, if he needed to, you could probably get by. But he's not the guy you want to say day in day out. That's my starter, right? So I owe a massive apology, a massive apology. To Bailey Zappi. And that's his name. <laughs> his name is Zappi. I said on multiple different occasions when I was reading off the names, I said his name and I said, come on, are you kidding me? Listen, I watched the guy. I watched some film on the guy. I like him, man. <laughs> now, I know he put up crazy numbers. I'm not worried about the numbers. I'm not looking at the numbers when I'm judging going forward in the draft. Yes, they play into the equation of, well, he had this level of production, so whatever. But nah, it's deeper than that for me. I like his base. He's always got his feet set. He puts the ball in a really good spot. Like, he's constantly throwing it in a way that, like, the receiver can make the play and get yards. He gets a lot of yak. If you just go on YouTube right now and pull up highlights of Zappi, you're going to see a bunch of yak. But a lot of that is because of where he placed the ball, where he threw it. He's got a good arm. Not great. Good arm. Uh, a little, slightly above average. Like, it's it's good. And he loves to throw the ball downfield. So he's going to go for it. But I, I like him. Um, as of right now, I don't have any rankings. I just watched a couple. Uh, but Zappi, so far, is the one that I like the most. Uh, I give. I he's probably like a mid second round pick for me. Um, it, you know what? If I'm like, God, I hate doing this. If you're the Lions, right, and you're committed to getting a quarterback this year, while you have Jared Goff still on the roster, I wouldn't be mad if if the second pick in the second round you took Zappy. And said he could sit for the year. Maybe we could groom him a little bit. Because listen. Western Kentucky, level of competition is a factor. It'd be interesting to see against NFL talent, like NFL level, if he's going to be, can he handle it? I don't know. But I wouldn't be mad at that in the second round. 
I also watched uh, Kenny Pickett. Look, man, uh, I know the guy is completing like 67%, so everyone's going to say he's accurate. I'm watching the guy. Constantly bad throws. It's constantly behind the receiver. The guy's coming across the middle. He has to completely turn around to catch it. Screen passes. The guy's got to do a 360 to catch the ball because it's behind him. He's constantly off on his throws. Now, you complete it. So it's going to go down as a completion. Your completion percentage is going to be sky high. But if you watch the games, this guy is not accurate. Right? And he doesn't have a great arm. So when he tries to put some extra mustard on it, it it gets messy. He's got a good arm, but it's messy. I got him as a late second at the best. Probably a third. (laughs) Mid to late second round, maybe take a chance on this guy, but it's it's rough. I'm not a I'm not a big fan. And I'll tell you what, I've been trashing Sam Howell from North Carolina all year long. From the moment that the year started and he was like ranked as the number one quarterback prospect, I was like, why? This guy's trash. And I've always said he's bad. He's bad. This guy's no good. This guy's bad. He's Baker Mayfield. He's bad. Bad. He's bad. He's bad. He's bad. Started watching some film on him. <sighs> Sometimes I'd be right. <laughs> this guy's bad, man. Listen, the arm the arm talent is undeniable, though. I'm watching him throw it. I'm like, wow, he's got a great arm. He's got a cannon. The problem is again, not accurate. He panics the minute the like the first read isn't there. He panics, right? He gets flustered. He in big games he he doesn't show up. He always seems a little overmatched, a little overhyped, and when he tries to put a little extra extra mustard on the throw, it goes right in the dirt. His mechanics go right out the window. Right, no good. He's bad. I'm going to say he's bad. But yeah, man, I'm going through my going through my draft stuff. Slowly but surely, I'm writing it all down, getting it all together. We're going to have some big draft shows. Once we find out, it's kind of tough because some of these guys you look up and you're like, I don't, it's who's coming out for sure. A lot of underclassmen may go back. There's a lot of redshirt sophomores that technically could come out, but... You know what I mean? They might go back to school. So until you get like the full list, the official list of who's coming out, it's, it's going to be tough. But I'm going through it, and it's fun. And we're going to have some shows where I go over the quarterbacks, and then I'll do running backs and receivers and corners and safeties and all that stuff, D-linemen. We'll have some fun. But that's my time for today, y'all. Listen, thank you for joining me. Uh, again, first show, new year. It's going to be fun. Listen. Predictions. Mm, Interesting. Look. Chiefs Broncos. I don't care. (laughs) Cowboys Eagles Saturday night. Um, I'm actually going to pick the Eagles to win that game. I think the Cowboys might actually rest some starters. And even if they don't, I just think it means more to the Eagles. Bengals and Browns, I'm very interested in because you got my guy Joe Burrow versus that B U M. 
Baker Mayfield. I'm taking the Bengals. Uh, I think Packers. Nah, I'm not touching the Packers Lions. <laughs> I'm not doing it to myself. Uh, Steelers, Ravens. I think the Steelers get it done. I think Ben Roethlisberger is trying to make his last hoorah. I think they get it done. Uh, I think the 49ers beat that. The Rams smoke the 49ers. I'm going to say that. They smoke them. They get them back. And, uh, of course, the big game of the weekend, the Sunday night game, the Chargers versus Raiders, Herbert, best quarterback in the NFL, versus Derek Carr, the most controversial quarterback in the NFL. I got Herbert winning that game, and I got them winning comfortably. That's it. That's it for this week, y'all. Listen, thank you for joining me. I hope you had a good time. Listen, be safe out there. Be smart. Be responsible. Most importantly, enjoy the games. Listen, it's just a sport. It's all fun. We all got opinions. Come through. Share them. Follow me on Instagram at Farris. Follow me on Twitter as well, Farris. Listen, we're going we're gonna to be much more active on it, okay? Definitely going to be active on it. So come follow me on there. I'm going to be posting minute by minute as I'm watching games. Trust me, it's going to be a lot of fun. I got a lot of crazy thoughts to be going through my head during the game. You don't want to follow this. Until next time, I'll see y'all next week.